Our job is not to make our children serve us, but rather our job is to guide them, to teach them, but not to expect it of them. And that's a very important point. Our job is to plant seeds. We don't know when those seeds are going to sprout, and therefore we just need to try our best, but we don't know exactly. Welcome back to another episode of The Jews Next Door. As we are focusing on this topic of building a relationship with one's child. In this fourth episode, we are going to be really focusing in, really honing in on everything we learned from the first three episodes, from Rav Eisenstein, from Alana Mizrahi, from Dvora Weiss. We, we gained so much, so much, and it's, it's time to unpack it a little bit, to try to dig deeply to what are the main ideas, the main yesodos, the main foundations, that we can take away and then make it a little more practical. So first things first, let's get with Rav Eisenstein. So first things first, one of the ideas that Rav Eisenstein spoke about is that our children owe us nothing, right? Our children owe us nothing. They have a relationship with Hashem and that's it. So let's unpack this a little bit. First things first, our job is not to make our children serve us, but rather our job is to guide them, to teach them but not to expect it of them. And that's a very important point. Our job is to plant seeds, as Rav Eisenstein spoke about, about Zriya Vibinyan, right? The idea of Ravolbi, of we're planting seeds as much as possible. We don't know when those seeds are going to sprout, and therefore we just need to try our best, but we don't know exactly. So let's go a little bit deeper. Our responsibility isn't to bring about physical action per se. Right? We only have to plant seeds. For example, if we have a child who doesn't like davening, which I think we can all relate to, it's pretty common, it's, 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 it's something, davening is something that really most children and, and adults have a, have a really challenging time with. So the job then as a parent is not to force, to coerce the child to daven. Rather, what we have to do is just daven properly. Right? We have to show them how amazing it is to daven, how, how much we personally connect with davening. Right? We have to daven it, we have to model it, and then they'll see, they'll see there's a real value in it. Personally, I grew up in this way. I grew up really seeing my father really daven. My mother also, I, see, I saw both of them really daven and really connecting to davening and connecting to tefillah and connecting to Hashem in that way. And therefore, as a result, it was a real value to me. So let's get to a practical scenario. Right? Let's say my child is 15. He's not interested in davening. Right? How do I get my child to daven? It's a, it's a pretty, pretty classic scenario that probably a lot of us are dealing with if we have children of that age. So first things first, it's, it's, it understand that it's normal to, for teens to, un, to, to be disinterested in tefillah. Many adults are as well. Davening is, is very difficult. It can be very difficult. And for a lot of people, it is very difficult. So seeing a teen who is disinterested in tefillah is not uncommon nor is it necessary to get all concerned about the future. That doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, my child's going to be off the derech and that's it, right? So first things first, the, 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 main, the main idea here is that the more we model what we value and the better, not just the more we do it, not just quantitatively, but also qualitatively, the better we model it, the more likely our children are to follow in our footsteps. In our footsteps. So, what does that look like? What does modeling in davening look like? Let's get very, very practical. So for example, let's say someone is going for a job interview, right? So first things first, automatically, when you're sitting in that job interview, you are not going to be on your phone. 
You're not even going to glance at your phone. Even if your phone's vibrating over and over, maybe, maybe if an Apple watch, maybe you'll, maybe if you want to see if it's maybe your, when your spouse calling, but really we will not, we will not take an exception. We will not be looking at our phones. We're also not going to talk to other people in the room. Let's say you're in, in a, in a busy, you know, busy office space. We're not going to all of a sudden start talking to other people. And we're going to make, make sure we have eye contact, really looking face-to-face communication with the person who's interviewing us to really try to strike that connection. Think about the tone, not just the words. I mean, the way that we say things. When we're asking for something, we, we, we say it one way. When we're praising, when we're thinking, we, it, our, what type of passion is coming through in, in our words? And then the idea of giving it the chashivus, the significance, the importance that it deserves. Right? So if we, if we model that, that whole package, we're showing automatically this is something that is super, super important to us. And therefore, it will automatically be more important to our children. Obviously, we're going to speak about this much more in much more in depth in the podcast down the road. But for now, this is this is one idea that, of the core of what we need to know. You know, and, and, and I just want to preface modeling with excellence is not easy. So we have to be strategic about how much we take on to make sure that we have a full, what we'd say, Kenyan, a real ownership over this area. So that's, well, that's idea number one. Another idea that Rev Eisenstein spoke about is the idea that adolescence is much longer than it used to be, which is just such a fascinating idea and so much to unpack there. But I think just to, to really take one specific idea about this is an idea that, that I once heard from, from Rev Akiva Tatz, who was quoting Rev Moshe Shapiro who said that maturity, when we speak about adolescence, is much longer than it used to be. So what is that? He says, because maturity is defined by the ability to stop thinking about yourself and to think about others. And, and since we are immersed in such a narcissistic society, our children are, are maturing much slower. And as parents, therefore, our job is to help our children to become givers. So let's get practical. How can I help my child to be more mature within this idea of Rav Shapiro, the idea of that maturity is defined by the ability for children to think about others and not thinking about themselves as much. So first things first is going back to what we said already, modeling, modeling selflessness. If we, and, and this both, this applies both in action and in thought, right? We have to model thinking and doing for others. And that's very important. Not just doing for others, meaning doing chesed projects. That's great. That's, that's amazing. We should be doing chesed. But it also in terms of the way that we think about others. How much do we just think about ourselves or how much do we think about others? Do we take others' physical space into, into account? Do we take others' feelings into account? So we have to model that. And we may have to, maybe sometimes we even have to be very explicit about it. right? And, and, and then once we are being explicit about it, we have to then praise them pairs our children when they are giving to others or when they show signs of thinking about others. And you, and you give the words. If you give the words, wow, that was great. You did such a great job of thinking about someone else. So you're getting them to realize, wow, this is, this is something that's really important. And you're, you're helping them classify it as, okay, I just thought about someone else. It's so much sure of you to think about others. If you use those words, use that, those scripts become very, very much so a part of our children's scripts as well. For another example is let's say children are fighting over something. So let's say, for example, they're fighting over this new toy that they got for, for Hanukkah or they're fighting over a, a birthday present, whatever it is. A very simple thing you could do is first just remove the item and tell them that they can, they can earn that item back with acts of chesed, with acts of giving. 
thereby you're training them to be more selfless. And then you're celebrating giving among siblings. You're calling it out. You're rewarding it. You're being specific with praise. You just did the mitzvah of the haftal recha kamocha. Once you do that, it's, just, it's such a different, you're, put, you're, you're getting them used to thinking in that way of, wow, I'm, I'm doing the haftal recha kamocha. I'm being selfless. I am thinking about others. Once you do that, that's going to help the, the, this, this concept that I was speaking about, that adolescence is, is much longer than it used to be, it's going to help shorten it and get it back to the place that it, that it really should be. So that's, that's idea number one. Idea number two from Rabbi Idea number one from Alana Mizrahi. She spoke very, very passionately at the first part of the episode all about filling up our own cup before we can have a healthy relationship with anyone else really, but specifically here with, with your child. More, and, and she wasn't talking about self-care but she's talking about self-awareness. And I love that. When you're aware of the stress, your stress levels, when you're aware of your lack of sleep, it allows you to, to meet your own needs, which you need to do in order to be able to, to be able to meet the needs of someone else, right? If you're being more understanding in a state to be more level-headed and dealing with your child, so everything's just going to flow you know, much more smoothly. For example, the other day, I knew that I was stressed out because I was going to be late for work. And I knew that because of my stress levels, I knew that any, any little thing at that time, it was going to set me off. And therefore, I, I had to prepare myself and I had to prepare my children by explaining to them, I'm very stressed out right now because I'm going to be late for work because we left much later than usual. I need you guys to help me out this morning by being, you know, extra good about listening. That type of thing, right when, just because I was be able to able to be more self-aware in that scenario. So therefore I was able to help my children to, to as opposed to, if it would have been this type of situation, we would have gone into the car, trying to get them into the car and I would have blasted them. That would be the opposite. And that would just be hurting the relationship. This is a very, very important idea. And I think just to go a little bit deeper on it, this idea, you know, like we, we've spoken about that this podcast is all formed based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this idea is drawn from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Which indicates that when my basic needs are not being met, I, I can't even think about others. How, how can I possibly do that? I'm just going to be an unfocused parent as, as most, if not all parents are, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I'm about to go into my house after a day of work or I've been at, been at home and my children are about to come home and I'm sure things are not going to be calm. What can I do right now? Maybe you're listening to this podcast right now as you're about to get home. What can I do to prepare myself to go into my home and be a great parent to create and to keep furthering and developing that relationship with my child? How can, and maybe go a little, even, even a little more broadly, how can I set up my life in general so that my basic needs are being met so that I can be the best parent I can be? Uh, in that moment, maybe you just need an immediate moment of self-care, right? Maybe you need a quick little rest. Maybe you need a cup of coffee. I know that I have a, I have a long drive home. And for me, listening to either podcasts or Shirem and having some phone calls, that gives me my, my time to decompress and gives me the ability to get back inside and, and, and hopefully be the best parent I could be. Not saying I am, but ho hopefully trying to be, aspiring to be. I know that there was one time I heard someone once said that the first 15 minutes when they get home is their time for themselves. They're going to, they'll put their, they'll give their, maybe their children, let's say a snack or two, and then they're going to go take a shower. Just that's, that's their moment of self-care that they need. Let's say you're having a, a rough day. You just need that in the moment. But even on a, on a more long-term idea is to put some self-care and also self-awareness moments in your calendar every day, 
right? As frequently, as frequently as you need daily exercise. It could be journaling. It could be, you know, just planning out your day, whatever it is that helps you, right? For me personally, when I, when I'm able to write out everything I need to get done for the day and when I'm going to get it done, that helps me de-stress because I, I see I have a plan. So maybe that's something that'll be helpful for you. Or maybe knowing, okay, I'm going to be running today. Make sure you plan that in. Another idea that Alana Mizrahi spoke about is that safety requires boundaries, right? When a child is out of control, they need a parent to contain them in order for them to stay safe, to feel safe. So if we're only positive all the time with our child and we're afraid to discipline, the child is not going to feel safe. We think, oh, we're going to be so buddy-buddy with our, ch- with our child and therefore we're not going to discipline them. But that's actually the opposite. They're going to feel less safe, right? Safe society means boundaries and limits, if a child, let's say, wants to run around the field and it's, you know, let's say on a mountainous area, you can only do that safely if you know that there's a fence there that's going to keep you in. When boundaries and rules in the home are consistent, children complain much less because they know that you're not going to bend. This is, I mean, I see this all the time in my classroom. My students know they don't have to ask about, let's say, having a gym day to go take a break for a day because it's not really typically going to happen. If it's going to happen, I'll let them know. But to ask for it it's not, and to complain about it, it's just not going to happen. So that, that's, within a home, it's a very similar idea. Boundaries need to be, they know, they know exactly what it is. And this is very, very important. Both parents have to be on the same page, right? What is the most ideal way to set up boundaries in our home? Number one, step one is don't make rules around something that you're not willing to follow through for, to enforce, right? This is, this is, this is the first and foremost thing. If you're not going to follow through for it, forget it. It's not worth it. Okay. Step, step two is before you make a rule, make sure you speak to your spouse, speak to your partner, make sure that the rule with every single detail is agreed upon between you and your spouse. Because if you deal, if you go through every single diesel and the consequences, then you're, you're all set because then you have it ready to go as opposed to in, in the situation where you don't have it. And then you say something and maybe your, your spouse, they, they didn't like that. Then, then you're ready in a different situation, right? If you have one parent who's strong and the other parent who's weak, the child is always going to take the path of least resistance. And they're going to complain to the weaker parent. Don't let, don't set that up. Don't let that happen. If you're on the same page, they will soon learn that this is an area where both mom and dad, they both agree and there's no wiggle room. This is just one of the ways to remove simple whining from, from the room. And number three, step number three is to be super consistent. If there is a break in the armor, children are like dogs. They sniff it. They smell it right away. They're going to jump on it. The more consistent you are, the better off the boundary or the rule will be followed. If you're looking for a great way to have some good, clean, kosher fun with your children through the powerful effect of music, Look no further because Jay Karaoke is here. Jay Karaoke gives one and all the platform to belt out their favorite tunes from a library of thousands of Jewish songs, hundreds of artists, and genres across multiple decades of incredible Jewish music. Personally, I know that I love singing. I love it. I love karaoke, but I was really never able to get into it because it wasn't the Jewish songs. And that's where Jay Karaoke comes in with their huge selection from the latest hits to the classics. They even have nursery rhymes for your little ones. And with features like key changes to help you sing, to make you more comfortable as you're singing, and speeding it up or slowing down the song, they have really thought of everything. To enjoy Jewish karaoke your way, all you need to do is head to jkaraoke.com. Choose a subscription that fits for you. 
And to make it even more fun, you could purchase their state-of-art karaoke kit, which gives you the feeling as if you are today's top singer. You can insert whoever you feel it is. Connect your kit to any device, like it could be a laptop, computer, a tablet, whatever it is. And you plug in your speaker, plug in your J karaoke microphone, and you sing away. It's as easy as that. That's all it is. And it's really fun. I checked out their website. It really looks amazing. They have an incredible, incredible amount of song selection. Anything you want. They got Thank You Hashem. They got Mordechai Shapiro. They really got it all. You can subscribe monthly for just $4.99 a month, yearly for $49.99. And we have a special deal here for you. For any of our listeners, if you use the code Jews next door, D-O-R, you get an additional 10% off. And if you don't want your children to be using a device with internet, J Karaoke's got you covered. You can download the app onto your desktop. Once you have it up, turn off the internet, let them sing all day long without the internet. Check out J Karaoke today and let the fun begin. Let's go to a third idea from Alana Mizrahi. Alana, Alana spoke about how it's important for us to respect our child because we have to treat them as the peace of Hashem, the peace of God that they are. That means that you won't talk to them in a certain way because you wouldn't talk to a piece of God in a disrespectful way. This idea, I think the deeper idea here is that this reminds us of our greater role as parents. Our greater role as parents is not to be in charge. It's to shape our our children and in turn to shape their neshama to be more refined, to be more elevated. And, and therefore, we need to treat them accordingly. This is, I think, comes out to play mostly with punishments, right? If we fly off the handle, if we start yelling like we were speaking about before, right? So not only is that bad parenting, right? And, and also has a very, very short li- lifespan of efficacy, but the overreac- overreaction itself is an indication that I've forgotten my task at hand. Right? My task is to raise the next door, the next generation of passion and committed Jews. This child right in front of me, this is a neshama. My job is to raise that neshama. If I'm yelling at them, that's not raising that neshama. I'm pushing it down. I need to treat my child like the neshama that they are. So it's, it's, I, it's not easy to keep that in mind, to constantly remind ourselves of that, to look at our children's neshama. That's what Ilana was speaking about. If we look at them and we constantly remind ourselves of that, we're just going to treat them very, very differently. Getting to the third episode, Devorah Weiss spoke a lot about control. Control is getting someone to do something that you want them to do or getting them to be the way that you want them to be. You want change. It's not just how that you're trying to get someone to do something, but it's how it makes the other person feel. When, when we're dealing with teens, when, when our child is becoming a teen, our role shifts. It, it shifts from being, let's say, more of a parent to being more of an advisor. We're just advising, right? And therefore, we have to make sure we are not controlling our child. When a child is transitioning from, let's say, a tween to a teen, there is not only a physical maturity, a shift in physical maturity in terms of their body, but also in brain development. What does that mean? It means that there's this natural desire for a child to individuate and to be different. And and therefore, they're going to want to test the rules and, and the limits at home. And sometimes that can cause discomfort, let's say, for a parent who out of an effort not to lose control, increase their controlling behaviors, which is the exact opposite of what needs to be done. So what, what should we do? We should sit down with our children as they transition from being a tween to a teen, and we should let them know, I, I see you're getting older, and it's, it's amazing. You're entering into a really important stage of life. And with this new stage, obviously, you have some new privileges. But that also comes with the new power, 
new, new rules and responsibilities, right? Like the, the, the famous quote from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And therefore, we need to discuss them. So here's some, a couple, not, not, not that this is the, the entire list, but just a couple of things to, to talk about. Now that you're becoming a teenager, you're probably going to want a little bit more space. And we, as your parents, we're not going anywhere. But we want to talk about what that freedom looks like for you. Does that mean that you're going to be, let's say, setting your own alarm for school? You're going to be waking up on your own in the morning in the end instead of me controlling you to, be, to get you up in the morning? Am I going to not be reminding you as much to do homework, but you're going to do homework without us asking? Are you going to maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to get involved with laundry. Are you going to getting involved with laundry or cleaning your room, right? And, and curfew and all of those things. So that, that concept of having that conversation really shows a child the respect that they need. And that's one of the other things that, that Dvorah was speaking about is this idea of that the words, the body language, and the attentiveness that we have show respect to our child, right? And, and the, the, the concept of when speaking to them, it's important that we don't hijack the conversation. We ask them, you know, what led you to feel that way? Or we ask them, what do you think? You know, we're, we're having a conversation. It's, it's like a family meeting about this topic, which is an idea that we speak a lot about in Guiding Good Choices in Gen Alf. So these are, these are a couple of ideas the based off of you know the first three episodes and if you want to learn more and you, you still want even more so number one is we have articles on the website we also have a course on the website where we go a real deep dive into you know this topic giving really practical steps and exercises to practice to really get the formula down for uh, how to create a relationship with one's child and uh and, and that wraps up this topic and, and next next week we're going to be starting a brand new topic a whole new series where we go up the rung of the parents' hierarchy of, of needs where we talk about child safety and all of the topics that that encompasses like technology, bullying, substance abuse, sexual abuse, domestic abuse. It's going to be a jam-packed series. Can't wait to continue with you there. Let's raise the Jews next door together. <laughs>